Welcome to the Brisbane Property Podcast with your hosts, Melinda and Scott Jennison from Streamline Property Buyers, your local Brisbane property specialists. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Brisbane Property Podcast. My name is Scott Jennison. I'm the Acquisitions Manager here at Streamline Property Buyers. And um, today we're joined by a, well, I'll probably call a bit of a regular in a way. I've been on the podcast um, episode 10 and episode 111. We've got Mike Mortlock from uh, MCG Quantity Surveyors. Welcome, Mike. Thanks for having me back. Does episode 10 make me a foundation member or something? Do I get any perks? Pretty much. I mean, you know, um, when we first started the podcast, um, I do know that um, we reached out to um, our our handful of connections that we had three years ago, and you were one of them. So it just goes to show how long our professional relationship um, has been going on. And um, you added a lot of value in that first episode. It was back in um, just post-COVID. I think we were all in lockdown, and um, you were talking about depreciation in Brisbane properties. So for any listeners that haven't already heard that episode, um, head on back to episode 10. You'll find out a lot of very useful information about depreciation um, in Brisbane properties. And I know we specifically talked about character Queenslander homes and how that might be different to um, other properties interstate. So lots of value. And then episode 111, um, we talked about some data that your firm had actually put together and that was unpacking the 1000 assets report. And I'm excited to say today that um, you've actually put together some exclusive data that we're going to share once again on the Brisbane Property Podcast. And that is in relation to trends and observations that have occurred over the last couple of years here in Brisbane based on your um, the data that you have in-house. That's right. Yes, you're hearing it here first, exclusive, world exclusive. So, no, it's great. I, I love unpacking the data with people like you guys, um, you know, especially with yourself, Melinda, with a PhD after the name. I mean, I really rely on clever people like you to unpack, you know, the the mess of stuff that I normally dump on your desk to, to sort of tell the story behind it. But no, I'm looking forward to unpacking some stuff today with you. I know what you're talking about, Mike, because I'm the same. I sit and wait for Melinda to unpack all that data and all that mess, and then she can deliver it to us in the team, and away we go. So, uh, look, I have seen, I have had a look through some of the information you've sent through, um, and, and thank you, obviously, for contributing to the podcast and the information you do send. You've helped us go to number one podcast in Brisbane, by the way, just so you know. Awesome. That's that's my sort of strategy is to is to to cherry pick talent and then sort of ride on the coattails and claim you know a percentage of the success. So <laughs> you guys keep charging ahead, and I'll uh, I'll rest on my laurels. <laughs> Look, Mike, I'd love to get straight into it because some of the information that you've shared with us, um, it, it's very very interesting, and in fact, it's a little bit damning in some instances, and probably. Um, the data that's um, most disturbing, I think you could call it that, um, is the the change that you've noticed um, in terms of the number investment properties being purchased here in Queensland and how that's changed over the last couple of years. And we'll talk um, to some of the reasons why that might have been the case. But from the information that you have access to, help us understand how purchase numbers in Queensland have changed just over recent years? 
Yeah, so to give you a, a background, we prepare tax depreciation schedules for property investors, right? Across across the country, there are certain pockets where we're, we're stronger. So for example, we do much more work on the eastern seaboard, but we're certainly growing uh, in uh, in WA as well. But we were able to find a way to, to sort of statically measure the investment percentage. So we're looking at the percentage of people that buy in Queensland, as opposed to other states. And uh, about uh, six, to 10 months ago, I spoke at the Accounting Business Expo and, and presented some data that Queensland was the favourite at 34% of investors were buying into Queensland. Compare that to, say, Victoria, which was around 11 or 12%, and New South Wales somewhere in the middle. So we, we, we've we been crunching that data for some time. That data actually went quite a bit higher than that. We, we peaked um, at 40.9%. But my little sort of thought uh, experiment was looking at the land tax changes that that were proposed, and and there was a period of time where I heard anecdotally that people were avoiding Queensland because we must remember that the land tax change was legislated, right? It wasn't just a proposal; it was actual law that was due to come in. So I was very interested to see what happened during that period because anecdotally I had buyers, agents, and investors saying we're, we're moving out of Queensland. Mm. Yes, and and for those that um, can't recall that, whilst the legislation um, did come in, it hadn't yet applied and the proposal or the legislated um, requirement was that any property holdings Australia-wide would contribute towards the caps to calculate land tax here in Queensland. So um, there was a lot of industry uproar around this legislation and as a result it was actually withdrawn and overturned. So but at the time, it actually caused a lot of uncertainty for property investors, especially property investors that had specifically looked to diversify portfolios across multiple states to actually um, avoid additional land tax liabilities. Um, so, you know, Queensland, the Queensland government wanted a bigger piece of the pie effectively. So from what you're saying, Mike, um, it hit a peak in terms of the number of investors buying into Queensland of 40.9%. From your observations um, and the timing of how this all played out, what percentage did that drop to after the Queensland land tax legislation was proposed? Yeah, let's talk quickly about that timing. So uh, it came in 22nd, 23rd of, of June, at least it was legislated to come in 1 July this year, uh, and it was repealed on the 30th of September. Uh, and the government didn't really say we've 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 taken it away because we see it as bad policy. They sort of said, well, we're going to repeal it because the states aren't going to help us to grab that revenue. So you know that I think has some interesting implications. It's not that they admitted it was a bad idea; they were just saying, well, we can't make it work. But over that ninety-eight days, what what we did is we allowed for a, a, a typical six-week settlement period to try and say, look, these would be people that are aware of this and are making a decision with the full knowledge of it. And we saw that it dropped by ten point one percent in that ninety uh, ninety-eight day period, which. I, you know, there's there's all sorts of things that could factor into that data, but such a big jump in such a tight period, and we looked at the preceding, you know, the preceding sort of, uh, I think it was from from that point onward, uh, it was about 230 days. We looked at the preceding 230 days um, on top of that 98 day sample, and the numbers were, were quite identical. So to us, 
that was pretty clear evidence that the land tax change made investors avoid Queensland. So these investors um, were not investors that, you know, just decided, well, I'm not going to buy. So we can't um, sort of suggest that the rising interest rate environment, as an example, was the reason that they didn't actually purchase. What you're saying is that these investors actually took their investment dollar elsewhere. They purchased um, in another state and based on the long term trends of your of the buying habits of your client base, um, the number of investors buying an investment property in Queensland dropped by 10%. That's that's big numbers. Yeah, that, that's a really, really important point uh, because let's say, because people have asked me that question, well, interest rates up, well, people just weren't buying. Well, we adjusted it for volume, right? So we were looking at the, the total number of purchases across Australia and whether that went up or down, the percentage buying in Queensland was still going to be the same. It was still as statistically robust as we could get it. Yes, it is a very uh, a tight time frame, but, you know, we're talking hundreds and hundreds of transactions that we're analysing there. So, yeah, I, I think um, it's, it's an interesting insight. Uh, you probably shouldn't say that about our own data, but I guess I look at this stuff myself just excited to see, well, what story can this tell? And I thought it was interesting and I thought it was interesting enough to share with people. Absolutely, absolutely. So, so Mike, does it line up with the core logic data that you look at? So, obviously, the information that you've got in your in-house data, when you start to compare that with core mm. logic, does that sort of align with that as well? So, when we look at yeah, well, to, the first I was just going to say, just to elaborate yeah, on that, <laughs> the core logic data that Scott's referring to is um, the information that um, shows that a higher proportion of investors. Um, who are assumed to be um, selling properties. So based on the listing numbers, those properties that are listed for sale, um, there's been a higher portion of investors that have been selling out of the Queensland market. Now that hit a peak um, in 2021, which was the post-COVID boom. However, the long-term trend um, for the proportion of people selling properties here in Brisbane is it's still a higher portion today compared to pre-COVID levels. And if we look at the numbers, 28.8% um, of investors still selling out of the market um, now compared to the pre-COVID average of 26.3%. So interesting that, um, you know, some of this proposed legislation, yes, it was, um, it was withdrawn, but um, it seems to have some alignment, would you agree? Yeah, I, I think so. I, I think it lines up fairly well that people are, you know, yes, they could be locking in some of the COVID profits and moving out that way. And this is where the data science is not always perfect. But to me, it still kind of says that people saw this this change as a negative for property investors in Queensland and potentially they were looking at, at purchasing further afield. I mean, our own data is is saying that the average distance that people invest from where they live has jumped from 293 kilometres pre-COVID to 559 mid-COVID to over 800 kilometres in the last data set. So it, it, it's, it's telling me that investors are prepared to look across the country and the, the kind of environment for investors is going to factor into their purchasing decisions. And if you look at the data where we were talking about the percentage of people buying in Queensland, you know, prior to the legislation, it was 40.9%. 
During it was thirty three point six, and post it's it's thirty two point eight two. So people haven't bounced back in, and I think that's because, as I mentioned before, the government didn't repeal it because they thought it was bad policy. They repealed it because New South Wales and Victoria said we're not going to help you with the data. So they thought they're not going to get it done. And this wasn't the only political party to be talking about making it more difficult for property investors. I know. The Greens in Queensland were talking about, you know, caps on on rental increases and things like that. And I understand that rental affordability is a real concern. Uh, I don't want to I don't want to sort of take away from that. But what I want to draw attention to is that these uh, policies have probably unintended consequences that are going to exacerbate the problem. And let's talk about the problem because, you know, every newspaper that we pick up here in Brisbane, um, certainly across many um, cities and and towns in Queensland, we know there is a rental crisis. Um, You know, there's been other research done by Pippa, the Property Investment Professionals of Australia, that showed a higher volume of, you know, people have purchased elsewhere as opposed to purchasing in Queensland off the back of some of these proposed legislative changes. We also know that a lot of people of from those data sets sold out of Queensland. So the, the net effect is that we've got supply of rental properties that is reducing um, at a time where we have this huge record population growth off the back of COVID. We've had record interstate migration. We've got international borders reopened. So we've got international migrants. So the demand for rental properties has escalated at the same time as the number or the volume of rental properties has actually diminished. So is it any wonder that we have a rental crisis? And and to your point, Mike, um, earlier you mentioned that, you know, the Queensland government um, obviously legislated this land tax and and it was only repealed off the back of um, a lack of, um, I guess, cooperation from other governments around the country. And yet off the back of that, we've now got um, proposed rental reforms that um, are coming into play here in Queensland. Um, We have had changes to um, the frequency in which rental um, incomes or or the, the lease agreements can actually be increased that's been limited now to once every 12 months so that's again another disincentive for investors although um, most tenancy agreements do um, have a a tenant in place for 12 months so it just means property investors when they can or when they should increase their rent to align with market rent that can only happen once a year my point is all of these things actually are put in place, they disincentivize investors. And for anyone that that might have, you know, an amount of money to spend on an investment property, people don't like uncertainty. So if there's a place that can park their money, that's going to give them a more certain outcome, that's what they'll do. And your data in terms of the distance that people are buying away from home almost confirms that that's actually happening already. Mm. I, I think it does. And I think your average property investor is investing on at least a 10 to 15 year time frame. At least sophisticated, sophisticated investors would do. 
And and we're talking about investing in their future so that they can take less of a, a they're less of a burden to the federal government in retirement because they're probably likely to be self-funded. So this is something that the government in the past has kind of encouraged, but you know now we're we're making these 10, 15, 20 year decisions. But you know it kind of seems on a whim the the state governments will come up with these knee jerk policies to try and show that they're doing something about it and. Uh, to me, they're, they're just making the problem worse. The, a lot of people are talking about, you know, supply being the problem. You know, we need more supply. If there are more houses, then there's more rental accommodation available. And whilst that is true, it's it's a long lead time solution, right? And, and it's not just a matter of releasing land. The developers have to be in a position where they see return on their investment as well. And, you know, with so many building company liquidations, with the rapid rise of construction costs. There are a few headwinds in that sector. So to be able to move the needle very quickly, we've got to recognise that the vast majority of rental accommodation is provided by mum and dad investors for want of a better term. And the ATO tax stats for 2019-2020 just came out recently, and they're still saying that 71.5% of property investors own one property. So yes, there are multi-investment property owners, but I think if you own six or more, you're in the top 0.8% of property investors. Investors aren't the wealthy land barons that they're categorised as as being. Uh, And I don't think investors need incentives or handouts. I don't think that's the message that any property investment advocate would say. It's just certainty certainty, and no disincentives. Yeah, absolutely. And interestingly, here in Queensland, Mike, the number of mum and dad investors that do provide rental accommodation is a lot higher than in other states. 97% of our rental accommodation is provided by private investors and only 3% by our government. And that's a really low proportion of government public housing here in Queensland. So as you said, you know, the supply pipeline or the long-term supply pipeline for creating new investment properties or creating new rental properties rather, um, it takes time. Construction doesn't happen overnight. Um, So the more immediate form of supply would be to get more property investors into the market, but that's just not happening. And in fact, the reverse is happening at the moment. Mike, another um, yeah. interesting interesting trend in the data um, is the type of property. Um, and it's actually, it's a good one to have a look at because we did talk about this quite a while ago, um, how Brisbane's changing and whether it's affordability, yields, lifestyles, things like that. But um, it's the type of property that people are starting to invest in. So a bit of a shift towards units. Mm. Yeah, it, it's a it's a modest a modest shift, and we've been tracking that since uh, well since forever really. Um, units had a, a real kind of renaissance uh, probably five or six years ago, but then we saw a big move away from units when we saw some of the um, some of the cladding defects. You know the poor people in Sydney that were evicted on uh, on Christmas Eve, uh, but units are, I think will will continue to be popular when we see you know international students coming back in because you've got to remember in the capital cities we saw vacancy rates you know nearly hitting double digits in a lot of places, but that's certainly come back. Uh, but it's the price point I think that's a big driver. So. We saw Queensland as being a popular investment uh, location in, in for, for a number of reasons. One, it, it had been really a decade of, of no growth, so it was kind of due, right? I mean, that's not 
its economics, but it sort of seemed like it, it couldn't stay where it was for, for, for that long. But also the price point, you know, before the big boom, we were talking median house prices in, in Brisbane, you know, under 800K, right? Uh, you look at other parts around the country, you, you just can't buy an investment property uh, in in Sydney or Melbourne for the average price we were seeing investors purchase, which was about 680k. So the price point makes a difference. And that's why I think people were going to Queensland. And I think that's why people will invest in in units, uh, because they want to be in those central locations. There's a there's enough evidence to say that the, the best capital growth is going to be, you know, closer to the action rather than the regional areas. Obviously, there are examples where that's not always true. But yeah, that, that's an interesting one for us. Us to watch and i really like to um to see that that trend has come through in the data because our on the ground observations um have aligned with with that trend in the volume of buyers that have been looking at that product type so you know off the back of covid we saw a lot of people priced out of the housing market here in brisbane and if they had a budget of you know five or six hundred thousand dollars they either had to live an hour or more away from the CBD, or we saw a compromise on the product type and people were starting to look at townhouses or units um, instead of houses on their own lot. The other thing with units that I think um, has come through in the clients that we've partnered with is that they do have a much higher yield, especially here in Brisbane, gross yields for a lot of units or the median value for gross yields across Greater Brisbane um, is over 5%. Now, you know, yields like that don't exist in in a lot of other locations, um, especially the East Coast capitals here in Australia. So people were attracted to that, especially as interest rates continued to increase. It made holding an asset um, a little bit more affordable, um, less um, requirement to put in cash. Um, but as you pointed out as well, we we saw people start to um, value lifestyle locations, wanting to be in those walkable um, areas where they can jump on public transport, be at work in 10 minutes, but then when they come home, have the ability to walk to a restaurant or a cafe um, or a bar for those lifestyle elements. And I think we're, we're seeing more and more of that in Brisbane. We have grown up from a country town and we are becoming a big city. But as we look forward over the next 10 years, I think we'll see even more of that, especially in the inner five kilometre ring because this is where our Olympic Games is going to be held and therefore this is where the infrastructure around the Olympic Games that's being developed is actually um, going to benefit residents the most. So that's something for people to keep in mind. Product type depends on what the area will look like in the future. So it's always important when investing to understand what a city is going to look like you know, in the future when you're looking to sell. I think that lifestyle also adds a lot to it. Um, a, a bit of a touch on I know I always sort of tease people about the weather we have here in Brisbane, how it's winter time and it's in the early 20s and it's quite nice. But it's also low maintenance. It's a bit of low risk sometimes for investors. You know, when you buy a house, there's probably or possibly a bit more maintenance involved in it. Um, you've got the yard, you've got the fences and all those types of things. Very unit, um, there's not as much probably in that maintenance side of it. So for the low risk side for investors, more affordable, better yield, um, and also probably a little bit less maintenance on it as well. One thing I'll say yeah. though, is that not all units are created equal. So, you know, as you would know, Mike, there's a lot of um, those high density units mm. where you've got a smaller block of land with 80 or 100 units piled on top of each other in that high density situation. 
Um, you've also got units that might be on a nice six or 800 square meter block and there's only four or six units on that block. So land to asset ratio is still something that investors need to consider if the capital growth component is going to be important to their strategy. Yeah, I was just about to say the same thing. When we're talking about uh, units, and, and in a way we were kind of advocating for them, we're not talking about units within a complex of of 500. The, the land-to-asset ratio makes a big difference. And if you're buying something, let's say it's it's three or four units on you know six or eight hundred square meters it's going to apply to uh it's going to to attract a greater pool of potential purchases and as an investor maybe you're not selling it but you still want it to be an in-demand product right because that's going to push the value but yeah i absolutely agree that the on the yield side of things investors have been chasing yield a lot more just because you know Dr. Lowe has been very busy uh, hammering rates up, probably a whole nother podcast to, to talk about that. But people are chasing yields a lot more than they have before. You know, we've seen commercial property become uh, quite popular as well. And some data that I heard this morning, um, there's a huge downsider move that I, I see probably happening happening in the inner ring of, of Brisbane as well, where PEXA, the online uh, settlement company, were, were saying that about 25% of settlements were cash. I mean, that's an amazing figure for me. And that's that's got to be driven by by downsizers who maybe bought their their property in in the city uh 20 years ago, whether it be Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne. If you bought a, a place in the city 20 years ago, then quite likely you are able to downsize with cash. And that's that's a huge amount. That is a huge stat, 25% of settled sales in the inner city um, being cash. Now, these people are not people that are impacted by rising interest rates, right? These are people that, um, you, as you've mentioned, have, have potentially sold other assets and, and you know, they're not even leveraging. And, and this is why it's so important to um, tell the full story. Interest rates don't impact every individual in the same way. Um, and, yes, they will have a more significant impact on people who are unemployed or people who are on lower incomes. So it's really important that people are aware of that. Mm. Yeah, and I think uh, it's adding a little bit more uh, venom to the to the wealth divide. People that are mm -hmm. kind of looking at this baby boomer generation, and and they're sort of galloping towards you know aged care costs and expenses, and saying, "Look, guys, you know you guys had a golden run. You're going to need to pick up the tab a bit more yourself." Yeah. Another interesting um, thing that's come out of your data, Mike, is that the average um, purchase price for investment properties across um, the country has actually decreased. Um, I'm guessing that's not a surprise to you, given the um, reduced borrowing capacity that we've experienced over the last 12 months. That's the big one, isn't it? The the, the serviceability levels, uh, you know, they're proposed to have changed, but they've been the same for quite some time. And the, the capacity has just been eroded over time. So anyone that's gone to their broker in the last little while, you compare it to maybe if you were doing it six or 12 months ago, you've got a lot less ammunition to work with. So I think that that's always going to impact things. And I think that's also found its way into the data of people purchasing further away from where they live because the vast majority of property investors are going to be located uh you know in and around Sydney uh Brisbane and Melbourne and you know you're looking at at price points where you can get a property at four or five hundred thousand dollars you're having to go to places like Adelaide and Perth and we've seen a, a huge amount of investment go into Perth for example 
Mm, it's been interesting. Um, and I think that, you know, from our own anecdotal evidence, um, I think a lot of people have been sitting on the sidelines, meaning, you know, they're not prepared to take um, a big financial risk by buying into a market, especially when a lot of the media story has been negative headlines. Um, and we've just recently had buyers that we'd been speaking to 12 and 18 months ago um, who are ready to buy now. They were waiting out for, you know, the time when they felt more comfortable when when prices had stabilised or when interest rates were at or near the peak of their cycle. And of course, no one knows how far interest rates might go, but I think people have um, a level of comfort knowing we've come so far and that we're not going to, you know, see similar rate hikes over the next 12 months like we have over the last 12 months. Mike, just on the, no, um, on the renovation. Cuts, aren't they? Sorry, oh, Scott. <laughs> On the renovation side, and we, we do say to people all the time that you, can, you can't change the location, but you can change the house. So the renovation trend, what, what are you seeing on that side of things? Are people spending, and, and obviously with construction and everyone being scared about getting builders and all those types of things, what are you seeing on the renovation sides? Yeah, I, I, I used to, I sort of make the joke about from a depreciation schedule point of view, if it's built prior to 1987, i.e. no claim on the original building structure, we want to see 40 or 50 grand worth of works to, to make a report worthwhile. And I said, you know, used to be able to get a kitchen and bathroom renovation for that. Now it's a, like a plumber's call out fee. You know, <laughs> it, it's, it's, it's been a crazy rate of change. You know, we've, we've seen uh, basically 18%, 20% growth in construction costs over a 12-month period. Uh, the AIQS has released some data to say that they were expecting it to uh, increase by about 4.3% uh, from about February, March through to October. So the pace of change is, is slowing. Uh, I noticed the um, container shipping costs have come basically back to where they were. So we should see that starting to come to come in. But there is a construction labor shortage and there's a there's a shortage of construction companies now after such a huge amount of liquidation. But we have seen more money spent on renovations. I don't think the the figure is 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 more just because uh, the renovations are costing more. I think there's more appetite for renovation. Whether that's because people are buying cheaper assets that need uh, work done and or doing it up, but you know, there's there's kind of two stories to the economy right now. There are people that are really struggling from the interest rates. Then we've got 25% of people are buying in cash. You know, there are people that are seeing this as a real opportunity to invest in property to to do these renovations and increase the 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 rental yield increase the valuation of the property and, and go up but yeah in our data we're seeing in in brisbane certainly people spending a little bit more on on renovations more than double in the the last 12 months perhaps they're leveraging their equity position off the back of the post-covid boom to um to add some more value as you say and mm. um increase those those rental returns Exactly. What a boom it's been, right? So there's there's money there available to a, to a lot of investors. If you purchased pre-COVID in Brisbane, uh, dr I mean, drinks are on you. Uh, <laughs> give me a call. I'm, I'm ready to fly up at any time. <laughs> Smart investing, I think, if they can do that, make the most of what they've actually benefited from and, and invest again before it does, I think, probably move again in the same direction. Well, not, not probably as far, but move in that direction on the way up anyway. Yes, I think so. I, th I mean, I always make it. 
Sorry, Melinda. Oh, I was just going to say, I, I do think that, um, you know, the long-term outlook for Brisbane still looks very positive and, um, you know, just based on the fundamentals of low supply and demand that just seems to be consistent um, regardless of the broader market conditions. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, I've 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 got long sleeve uh, shirt and and pants on, and I see Scott there with the guns out. So if, <laughs> if that's not a, an advertisement for Queensland, I don't know what is. Well, you should come on up, Mike. Um, look, mate, we'll, we'll give it a wrap there. Thank you very much again for um, all of the data you do share with us and the information you share coming on our podcast and and share that with all our listeners as well. We really appreciate it um, and uh, love having a chat to you and catching up when we can. So. Thanks very much, Mike, for joining us. I'll let Melinda wrap it up and say um, a goodbye and a thank you. Um, And thanks very much for listening, everyone, and we'll talk next week. Bye for now. Mike, thank you. We really appreciate your intel and um, always enjoy the, the information that you share with our audience. Appreciate your time today. It's always a pleasure. Love you guys. Thank you. Keep fighting the good fight. (laughs) <laughs> Will do. Um, and for those that uh, want to get in contact with Mike Mortlock, uh, Mike Mortlock, uh, Managing Director of MCG Quantity Surveying. So um, look them up online um, and get in touch. Those details will be in the show notes for people to get in touch also. Um, we hope you have enjoyed this episode. If you would like to subscribe, please Google Brisbane Property Podcast. Um, head on over to your fo- favourite podcast player um, and hit that subscribe button. We look forward to speaking with you again next week. Until then, bye for now. Thanks for tuning in today. Please remember everything we have spoken about on this podcast is general in nature and we always recommend that you obtain independent advice in relation to your specific circumstances. If you liked today's episode, don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review on iTunes and of course tell your friends about us. If you would like to get in contact, please visit www.brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au or email us at info at brisbanepropertypodcast.com.au. Feel free to send in any questions and we will try to answer them in future episodes.